Hey everybody, uh, this is David. We discuss uh, a one particular Boca Junior soccer player in this podcast. And I'm here to uh, talk to you at the top of the podcast that according to Ty C Sports, that gentleman has reached a verbal agreement with Minnesota United. Now the team is really, really good at waiting until about 12 hours after I post the podcast to officially announce these things. So we're just going to get ahead of the game here and say that this is a done deal. Uh, Ramon Abia is uh, uh, now a Minnesota United uh, center forward, bringing our total of forwards on this team to two and a third, two and a quarter, two and three quarters maybe, um, which is great. He's a Boca Juniors player, played with Babelo. So... They, those guys obviously have a little bit of a connection. So let's we'll talk about it a little bit later in the podcast uh, about some of the rumors and stuff. Just I'm telling you right now, it's official and we're getting ahead of the story. So mark that down, influencers. The Daves I know got it first. Cities. The Daves You Know, this is Daves I Know. You want me to be that type of dude and I want to be who you like me to but we both know I can't do nothing at all. All right, and welcome back to another uh, episode of the Dave's I Know podcast. Uh, I was when I was putting the uh, agenda, or starting to put the agenda together earlier this morning. I was like, "Oh, should be a, a pretty light day, uh, pretty easy podcast." And then all of a sudden, just a bunch of shit showed up, and now we have like a four-page uh, outline. So, um, and I don't even have half the stuff I want to say in the outline. In the outline, so should be a fun one. We have the regular cast of uh, of uh, miscreants, uh, Dan. How are you doing? Doing great. I'm uh, I'm I'm deeply immersed in my absolute favorite activity, which is translating tweets uh, off Twitter and pretending that this means I know anything about what's happening in South American soccer. Fun, fun. Uh, MJ, how about you? I'm also doing something that I really, really enjoy and is one of my favorite things, and that's drinking whiskey. Honestly, that's probably better. Yeah, I am as well. If you can't tell... My voice is a little uh, hoarse. Uh, picked up a cold from, I'm assuming Ragnar, because I hardly go anywhere, and Anna doesn't leave, leave the house. So, And he goes to daycare like one day a week. So like he got a cold like two weeks ago, and then basically he gave it to Anna, Anna gave it to me, I think I gave it back to him. So he's been passing a cold around our house, which I can't really complain too much because this is literally the only time I've gotten sick in the last year. So I can't really... and. Yeah, two years ago, Ragnar got got had colds basically every every other week or whatever. He had a cold or an ear infection, so it's actually been pretty healthy in the household. But now I have, uh, and then I was on a 
at my fantasy baseball draft yesterday. And so I was on a Zoom for like four hours. So yeah, so I'm also drinking whiskey to try and soothe my my vocal cords. Who'd you get in the first <laughs> round, David? Uh, it's so it's a it's a uh, keeper league. So oh, we have five keepers. I don't get, that's too in depth. Yeah, you don't. You definitely don't want to get too. It's huh. it gets it gets. You really, and Dan can have a separate podcast. But yeah. We absolutely probably could. Yeah. You don't. You don't want to hear about how uh, Kyle Mick, my co-owner, and I took Spencer Torkelson first I have overall. Spe- I have Spencer Torkelson on my team. I did not draft him first <laughs> overall, but I definitely picked him up because I was. You know, there's a. We'll get into that on the uh, David Dan <laughs> Talk Fantasy Baseball uh, that podcast. Let's. We're actually we want to talk about Minnesota United, but first I want to mention again, just as always, uh, we've we picked up a couple just random Patreon subscribers. Uh, one. Uh, Bruce McGuire, uh, subscribed to the Patreon. He Woo! must have got that that stimulus check, and then decided to give all the soccer podcasts a little bit of money, which was nice of him. So, if you are not yet a member, we are uh, having the Imperial Red Rye. We do not have, or Christian has not told me what the name of it is yet. I'm sure he has some some thoughts in mind. I know. I think Dan. I think you. Did you kick it a couple ideas to him? Or uh, I I do know. I do in fact know what it is called. Oh, okay. But uh, in in much the way that. Uh, Christian tends to tell me things that he doesn't want you to accidentally tweet. Uh, oh yeah. No, listen, man, I'm, I know how to keep a secret and I'm not going to accidentally tweet it out, but we'll talk after the podcast. But if you want to get that Imperial red rye, uh, join our Patreon, patreon.com slash the Dave's I know uh, to help support the Dave's that, you know, um, starting at $3 a month and we will hook you up with, uh, some beer. It should be ready. Not quite for the home opener, but shortly thereafter. So once we actually have a schedule, we'll try and set up a, a day where maybe we can uh, do some socially distance handout of, of bombers, either maybe for an away match um, or some, t- some other day. So we're going to get that all set up so that people can come and, and get some beer and hang out. And hopefully by that point, we'll be well on the way to people getting vaccinated. Um, I know people, more people, more and more people every day I'm seeing are getting their shots and that's really exciting. So first dose on Saturday. Woo! Yeah. Dan guys first dose. So um that's really exciting we maybe can you know actually maybe record a podcast in person again at some point and then in, in the not so immediate future so all right so yeah patreon.com slash i know to help support the daves that you know so let's jump in to the minnesota united news um we have a couple of things uh very briefly to talk about and then we'll we'll jump really into the ramon uh, abila rumors uh from out of boca um there's been some uh, literally developments as we were getting ready to record the podcast, we were seeing seeing <laughs> new information. So he'll probably sign tomorrow, and this will be totally out of date by the time I by the time it gets into your uh, your pod catchers or whatever. So uh, big bits of news: Nico Hansen was officially signed. Uh, we did not know what the uh, terms of the deal were uh, when we sort of reported that or talked about that last week. It's officially one hundred twenty five thousand in GAM. That's 50,000 this year, 75,000 next year. And they signed him to a two-year contract with the club option for a third. So he's officially on the roster. Is there anything else we want to say about Nico Hansen other than, I mean, cool. I still blame Dan. Yeah, this this is still fundamentally my fault. Um, I Not to rehash what we did last week. I really like this deal and hearing the purchase price of 50 gam one year and 75 the next, that's, that's good business for me. Um, yeah. Do I think he'll turn into a superstar now, but for 125 gam, he really doesn't have to, to justify it. Right. Right. Uh, all right. So then the other sort of bits of news, uh, international break uh, started yesterday or 
yeah, after the matches yesterday. Grey Goose, Robin Lude, and uh, Yuka Reitala were all called into their respective national teams for World Cup qualifiers. Finland, uh, which has Lude and Reitala, obviously, uh, play Bosnia and Herzegovina on Wednesday, uh, the Ukraine on Sunday, and then they have a friendly with Switzerland on the 31st. Uh, Slovakia, which Grey Goose is, was called in for, plays Cyprus on Wednesday, Malta on Saturday, and Russia next Tuesday. All three of those are World Cup qualifying matches for Slovakia. So any thoughts on the, the European guys going over? Um, hopefully um, all, all three, the, or I know for sure, I'm not, I guess I wasn't really paying attention with Rytala when he wasn't on our team, but I know Greg Goose and Lude were getting minutes in um, Euro qualifying matches very recently. As, as of very recently. So I would expect to see them um, play in these, in these matches. As, yeah, as a ex- Minnesota United fan, my number one concern is don't get injured. It's everybody's biggest concern, buddy. Not just Minnesota United fans. I mean, no, that's, that's unfair. Arsenal fans know somebody's going to get injured. It's really just a question of how many and which ones. Liverpool fans too this year, with, <laughs> especially with that, especially with that fucking England squad. So, um, yeah, I, I, the cool thing about the, the sort of last 12 months of, of international football with respect to Minnesota United players is both Lude and Gregus have become much bigger parts of their respective national teams. It's really cool to see. Yeah. The flip side is, yeah, you lose them at times like this in the Euros and that kind of sucks, but um, it's worth it. it. It's worth it to, to be able to care about those games. And I know we're going to get into the U23s and we probably all would have watched it anyway, but it's way cooler when you have a a player that you really like involved. So I'm all for it. Even if one of them comes back with a little bit of a ding, we're far enough away from the start of the season that they'll be fine. I should, I was, I, I was fact-checked by uh, my lovely wife who says Ukraine really beats, beats, hates being called the Ukraine because for reasons. And so <laughs> they're playing Ukraine on Sunday. The Finns She is a hundred percent right. And the the reasons are fairly straightforward. The Ukraine was a compartment of the USSR, and Correct. Ukraine is the independent country. Yes, that is that is that we is actually. Don't say the Russia. I mean, I do the Russia. The so, Russia. Um, the other sort of bigger piece of news that's not uh, Olympic qualifying call-ups because we'll get to that in a, in a second here. Uh, Dane Sinclair has not like I've not seen any. Um, official notification that he was called up for the Canadian World Cup qualifiers. Um, he was definitely not called up for the U20 to the U23 team. I think we all kind of speculated that he was going to get a call up for these important World Cup qualifiers for Canada that are coming up. Uh, Thursday, they're playing Bermuda, and then Sunday, they're playing uh, the Cayman Islands. Um, have you, I've, I guess, have you seen anything? I just, I, I looked at the most recent roster on Wikipedia, which is generally pretty good about updating it. And they just have the most recent January camp in there versus like Slovakia and Finland had the actual rosters that were um, that they're going to be playing for their world cup qualifying. And yeah, so I've not, I haven't seen anything that Dane Sinclair, I would assume that Dane Sinclair would, would, you know, we would have known about this. So. I saw nothing on the Canadian side of things. I did check DuckDuckGo's like news area for Dane St. Clair, and I drubbed up a January 21st article that mentioned that due to his father's heritage, he could have played for Trinidad and Tobago. Mm. And obviously has chosen to play with Canada. Although could, at least as of this recording, uh, 
file a one-time switch, no? Yeah. He hasn't, fact, he hasn't been capped. He, I don't think he's he's cap tied on a senior squad. Yeah. So, anyways, I just thought it was interesting, especially considering uh, we all kind of expected that St. Clair would be the, the goalkeeper on the Olympic squad. And maybe, you know, maybe Minnesota asked not to have him be released. Um, maybe they got something in the works with either him or Tyler Miller and they're, and they don't want him to get hurt or something. Um, they can manage, you know, manages his, it manage him a much lot better up here other than, than rest, you know, versus uh, in Mexico or wherever the uh, Canadian national team is playing um, presumably not Canada. So uh, yeah. So maybe there's something in the, in the works that we just don't know about, but it's it just, it's weird that he wasn't considering, you know, I mean, Maxime Cropo is probably still the number one, for the uh, Canadian national team. But I th- definitely think Dane St. Clair is, it should be in the mix for either that U23 spot or as the, the, fir- the first backup to Cripo. Yeah. If, if they don't call him up to either the U23s or the senior squad, that's, that's something screwy to me. That's, he got injured. He he's in COVID protocol. That's, that's weird. I mean, uh, he played so well towards the end of last season. Um, I can't imagine. I mean, this this would mean that Canada had six keepers that were all better than him. And Cropo, I think, probably gets the nod, but that's more momentum than anything. I think Hassal may have a higher ceiling, but St. Clair is no worse than third in terms of total talent. So, yeah, he's get, he's getting this call up, and if he doesn't, boy, is that going to set off some some sirens in my mind. Yeah, the first match uh, of Canada's against Bermuda is taking place in Orlando, actually at the Exploria Stadium. So it's, I guess, it's a very real possibility that he could um, still get, you know, still get the call up and go on relatively short notice. I'm not sure, um, but and then the uh, the game against the um, who is sorry, Cayman Islands is also taking place in the U.S. at uh, at IMG. So it's very real possibility that he could still get uh, definitely get a call up uh, for the Canadian, the full men's men's national team. So. All right. Um, and then. Uh, we'll chat briefly about Callum Montgomery. Um, he played in the first half of the Canada's U23 win over El Salvador. Uh, they played Haiti today. I didn't see, I was kind of only half paying attention to the game because uh, wife had to go to the dentist. So I was, uh, had a much longer day with Ragnar and he was not very happy about mom deciding to leave when she came up from working and therefore um, it's crying a lot. So I wasn't really paying as much attention to uh, Canada, um, Haiti, uh, but I know he played in the first half. Uh, it looks like he didn't play great um, in that match. Uh so he didn't play against Haiti. He only, only played the first half against uh, El Salvador and was mm. cycled out. I think almost more for an attack okay. from defense. Um, no, he didn't. He didn't play at all against Haiti. Uh, Canada, by and large, looked okay. Um, they're very, very top heavy. Tejan Buchanan has looked really good in this tournament, um, but man, Haiti played like they had their hair on fire today. Just absolutely first to every ball. Um, a ton of energy and their keeper, Alan Jerome uh, commanded, honestly commanded his area as well as I've seen any Premier league keeper commanded this year. He was so good back there. Canada should have won. They had a couple of really good chances right at the end, but Jerome stonewalled them and full well, you, credit, full credit to Haiti for the nil, nil draw. 
you know what happened with like Haiti is in some crazy COVID protocol shit. Like they played a friendly against a team of um, it's a it was a Mexican team made up of fans of the of the been mostly based in the U.S. of the Mexican national team in Port-au-Prince like a few weeks before. And so then they didn't follow COVID protocols. So they played their game um, last the last match. I think was, I believe it was against Honduras. And they only had they had uh, an outfield player in goal because their goalie was in COVID protocol. And they played with uh, their 10 outfield players. They only had three subs for the game and they only used two when in in fucking Mexico, where it's like 95 fucking degrees outside right now. Um, in that if you see, if you watch any of these games, like the blinding, blistering sun that's coming down, I think that game was in the night at night, but still it was just like they only hit, yeah. So they didn't actually have their goalkeeper in goal for the first game against Honduras because that and like, um, like seven people from their squad were all stuck in COVID protocol because they were not paying it, not doing the, the COVID, COVID rules in, um, in Mexico. Well, and yeah, did, I know CONCACAF is somehow implicated in this too. They like yeah. screwed up like when their tests were supposed to be. So they had yeah, they players that were, back. Yeah. They, they, they had players that were eligible in the first half and then were ineligible in the second half because their tests had come back. Like the Haitian FA has some issues. CONCACAF shouldn't have those same issues, but man, I yeah. mean, there's there's a lot of issues in Haiti right now generally because there's a lot of shit going down in Haiti. So right. did you see that the uh Belize is in is in uh, Port-au-Prince uh, for a World Cup qualifier, and their uh, bus got um, basically like stopped by a bunch of like armed like dudes with like rifles and shit, and like oh shit, no, they had to like negotiate letting them through to get to their hotel. Yeah, um, if you don't follow uh, John Arnold on Twitter, uh, I think it's Arnold, comma John, literally Arnold, C O M M A. J O N. He's he's like he's the conca- he's like the Concacaf guy. He's got a he's got a Substack uh, newsletter called Getting Conca or Get Concacaf or whatever. So he <laughs> talks about all this stuff. So it's it's actually really great, and he he goes into it uh, quite a bit. But yeah, apparently Haiti is. I mean, he's generally never in a really great spot, but it's even more fucked up now. And it's been for the last couple of years. There's been uh, yeah, roving gangs of kidnap. Like the president came out was like, we are getting overrun by people getting kidnapped. Like please, someone help us. Like help us. Like to the international community. So. The fact they're even having a fucking World Cup qualifying game in Haiti is bonkers, beyond insane to me. So, yeah, that that seems like a hey neutral venue. Yeah, right. Seems like a pretty easy call to make, but whatever. I I have news for you guys. Uh, Just because Jack Warner uh, was charged and found guilty of all sorts of corruption within Concacaf. CONCACAF still doesn't have their shit together. <laughs> Weird. It's a, Weird. It's all right. One, one. Yeah. Yeah, to, for sure. To all our listeners who might not be aware of that. Uh, all right. Well, let's, let's jump into the big rumor. Um, the thing that's been being reported on uh, the last several days here in Minnesota, as well as in uh, uh, Buenos Aires, uh, Ramon Abila, I believe is how it's pronounced. It's, I'm probably messing it up uh, ter- terribly. Um, Eric Silverbrenman, please maybe um, help us out with a pronunciation. Uh, he's a 31-year-old. He's been a injured. I, I put oft injured in the notes. That's not necessarily true. He's, he's definitely injured right now. Uh, he's got 34 goals and three assists and 81 appearances uh, over three seasons for Boca Juniors. 
uh, which is about a goal every minute and uh, a goal and or or assist every about every 94 minutes. So about once a game, he is contributing to the score sheet, which is great. Um, Dan, why don't you tell us a little bit more about uh, Ramon or and, and he's got a he's got a fun nickname, too. So he does. It's it's a uh, one chope, which is or I think I think it is one chope. It might be one chope, but I, I have not seen an accent over the E that would give me that right. uh so i think i think it was just one show um so perhaps atypically from a lot of the players united has been connected with not just this offseason but for the last two or three uh up top because this is not the first time we've uh had conversations about the lose needing a striker um he is not a back to goal striker he is a face up uh get in the box uh it, like if this were basketball, he'd constantly be getting three in the key violations because he sits in the center of the box and posts up uh, crazy good finisher. Just the type of player who interplays very, very well with his teammates, very intelligent movement. And you can see that he's very consistently just in the right place at the right time. And look, there are plenty of strikers who can score a goal or two that way. You don't score consistently for Boca unless you know how to move really well. This guy isn't lucky. He's good. Um, one of the more interesting elements of, of all of this is, and I sort of alluded to this in the open, um, watching Boca fans' reaction to this. Because one of the really weird things is he's been really productive, which you sort of alluded to, but he's never started more than like half the games. So this Boca attack is theoretically really deep with Carlos Tevez and a couple others, uh, particularly younger players. And so he gets some playing time, but he never seems to consistently get a run of games. And I don't know to the extent, the extent to which that's because he's injured or the extent to which, because the coach doesn't like him. Like currently that is clearly the case. Like both of those things, he's recovering from groin surgery. He hasn't played since January. But also, yeah, January 18th was his last match. His last full 90 uh, was, I believe, the 10th of January. He played a couple, uh, put out, I think, one other match. He was uh, uh, like a 30-minute sub or something. So, yeah, he hasn't played. And he played 83 minutes in that that match on the 18th. And I think that's maybe when he got hurt. So, yeah, that did make sense. And that was a cup. I don't even know. A cup match. I don't even know when his last last 90 in the league was. So, look, I mean... We can, we can and should talk about, should United be going in for a 31-year-old striker? Should they be willing to pay a full purchase price if it comes down to it? Look, on pure talent and output, this is a great potential signing for the Loons. Um, he's a big-bodied striker, really strong upper body. He can clear space. And when you think about players like Lude and Finley and... Reynoso and their ability to cut into the box, having a striker who sort of instinctively knows where that space is and where they need to be. I'm not telling you he can be a 20 goal striker, but I am saying if he doesn't get to double digits, I'll be pissed. Um, if I am reading the internet correctly, his last full 90 in uh, the league was in uh December of 2019. <laughs> so he plays, he plays a lot. He plays a lot of their cup. I mean, in Argentina, the South America, they play a lot of different tournaments. He plays, he plays a lot of matches in like their cup games and, and things like that. So, and like, you know, so anyways, he was, uh, yeah, that was his last full 90 in a, 
in the actual Argentinian Superliga. So, yeah. So, qu- question for the person who's done the least research on Abila is he coming off the injury, like a groin injury, which we have no idea how severe that is or how that how much that's playing into him not getting playing time. Dan, you alluded to that the coach doesn't like him. The current coach of Boca Juniors doesn't like him. But do we expect this person to start games? Do we expect this person to come in in the 30th uh, or in the 60th minute and run at tired defenders for, you know, a half an hour? MJ, really quickly, and then I'll let Dan. He So he's been hurt. Um, the You know, his most recent run of matches – you know, had a growing issue. The reason listed, uh, this is on, this is obviously off his, off his transfer mark. So who knows, you know, how, yeah. um, how good it is. He was just listed as not in squad for the match that they literally just played today. Mm-hmm. Um, not in every other match that's previously for the last, you know, six weeks or so has been groin, groin issue, groin surgery or whatever. So, you know, who knows if he's, if he's healthy or not, but Dan, I'll let you, I'll let you take that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, for what it's worth, uh, FOTMOB has him as being back in training. So um, I think that's reasonable. I think I think we can assume that he is training with the team now, um, healthy enough to move, but uh, healthy enough to train and healthy enough to play a full 90 aren't always the same thing. Yeah. Um, I, let me put a huge caveat on this, which is, I have not seen any medical reports on him, um, reliable or unreliable. I haven't seen anything, but just ballparking it, assuming this was not a, a like off the bone tear, a groin injury. And it's based on his injury history. I would actually guess that this is an abductor injury as opposed to a traditional groin injury. Um, look, if you told me eight to 12 weeks, I wouldn't look twice. Um, so for the, and that's a return to play timeline. So we're sitting at it. If he got hurt the third week of January, I mean, that puts and us at eight weeks, eight weeks today. Yeah. So, or not eight weeks today, but eight weeks about now. So, yeah, I mean, I think it just depends. And, and I, and I shouldn't speculate more than that, but this is the type of injury that if it needed a surgical repair, it's probably a little more on the severe side. So, you know, maybe closer to a 10 or 12 week return to play. But the flip side of that is um, we're not asking him to return to play. I mean, he doesn't need to be game fit for another full month. So he certainly got the time to, to get fit. I guess it would not terrifically surprise me if the loons brought him in fairly slow. Um, you know, you see him 20, 15, 20, 30 minute cameos in the preseason up to a 45, 60 minute stint by the by the time they're in seattle um and that's where somebody like nico hansen i think actually is a great signing because you know he's a totally different striker from one chope and so if you if you you run him out there for for 60 minutes and then make a swap for hansen you're both saving legs and running at the defense with a completely different look so i actually think that's I don't hate that as a strategy going forward. Um, the thing I really like about this signing is, hey, he and Reynoso have played together. Like one of the big criticisms we've made of these late winter or over the summer signings is it takes these guys a long time to get comfortable, both with MLS and their teammates. Getting comfortable with MLS is something that 
it's just unless you're only signing players from within the league, which is a pretty limited talent pool, that's something you're just going to have to deal with. So the fact that he already knows at least one of his teammates has some familiarity with his movement, I think is a great benefit to, to a signing like this. Let's so let's talk about that quick. So, uh, you know, the rumors came out uh, late last week, I think that that this was being talked about and that it was being talked about as a, a straight loan um, that Minnesota was, you know, wanted to get him on loan. Uh, and then there was reports, the uh, Boca, Boca in English uh, Twitter account basically more or less said that, you know, they were Minnesota United was laughed out of the room, uh, which we found out later. Not true. Um, the the report of it just being a straight loan was not true that Minnesota had uh, made an offer of a loan with a with an option to purchase. Um, and then, Dan, you have uh, you have a little more updated information. Um, Boca made a counter offer. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah. So, well, and this is like evolving as we're recording. So I'm now trying to like learn which South American Twitter accounts are reliable and which ones are not. <laughs> and I'm not very good at this. I will, I will wholeheartedly. You are, uh, you are no Mark Fangmeyer. That is for sure. I mean, it's, it's true. Fangmeyer has got a few more years under his belt. So I, I aspire to that level. Um, no, the, the thing I'm having and hawing right, about right now is uh, there are reports that this deal is done. Um, but what I think I think what that's referring to is the counter offer. So Minnesota United made an offer. Uh, it leaked out initially. Yeah. Like you said that there was no purchase and that the board was pissed about it. Turned out that was wrong. Uh, and that Minnesota had had a purchase agreement in there. Uh, in I the really last... don't think MLS would let them do that without a purchase option for a uh, international player. Yeah, I, that's a it's a good point. I mean, which is why it was so weird. Yeah, well, and and what MLS will and won't allow a team to do is often a little bit fuzzy. Like depends on if you have ATL in your uh, in your name or or, or LAG or LAG. Yeah, because th- I'm thinking like Pavone, Christian Pavone had a purchase option, but it was crazy high, wasn't it? Wasn't it like forty or fifty million? Yeah, so. Well, no way they were going to trigger that. So exactly. So yeah, I mean Minnesota United could put that in there. Yeah, if 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 this guy scores fifty goals, we'll give you a billion dollars. Oh look, there's a purchase price in there. So yeah. I mean, there's you know gets onto something we talked about last week. What is and is not a good faith offer. Um, I think what what the hey this deal is done. It's referring to yeah, is that Boca sent back an offer. Um, so the ball is in Minnesota United's court as of 8.30 p.m. Central on Monday. Uh, the big, big, big complicating factor here as far as Boca is concerned is it has leaked that uh, Avila has turned in a transfer request. He has asked to be moved and specifically moved to MLS, um, which I'm not going to say ties their hands because it doesn't necessarily, but it does make it a little more complicated for them to say, yeah, no, we're going to keep you. You're totally an integral part of this team that you haven't played for or gotten consistent playing time for. So I look gun to my head or, or honestly, even not, I I'm almost positive. This deal gets done uh, unless the, the Boca board has really put an completely unacceptable offer forward. I think Minnesota does this deal. Um, but one of the super interesting things here is we have literally no idea what Minnesota United's thinking. I mean, yeah. Boca is one of the biggest clubs in the world. Uh, 
the South American media plays by a completely different set of rules than than uh, Minnesota media does. So we have their side of the story. We know exactly what is going on, sort of, but it always comes with a bogus slant. I mean, to the extent that we know multiple sides of this, we have what the player is leaking and what Boca is leaking. Multiple bogus slants. Yes, we don't actually have a a yeah. We have multiple bogus slants, not a not a Minnesota United slant to it. You are correct. So I, one of the one of the interesting things, I guess, for me, and and this reminds me a lot of Reynoso, is when the the rumors of that deal started. If you follow the fans and you sort of translate, like, what are they talking about? A lot of people are pretty upset that this this deal is going down. And I'm not, Boca has such a large fan base. I am not remotely going to say, oh, yeah, all Boca fans are pissed about this. But there's a pretty decent number that are saying, like, this is a mistake. Carlos Tevez is old, and Carlos Tevez is old. Um, (laughs) He also has the Manchester United stink on him, which that never comes off. Uh, (laughs) Nope, never does. I realize that may not be a universally considered bad thing, but it is to me. Um, so I, I don't know. I take that as a good sign that, that this is a player that fans really attach to. And yeah, I mean, he scores a ton of goals. So yeah, I, I'll be really interested to see when this gets done. Uh, because knowing our tracker record within less than 12 hours after me posting the podcast. So <laughs> I generally post the podcast depending on what time we get done, you know, and I have to, I have to download it and then do a little bit of editing and all that it generally gets posted somewhere between 11 and midnight. So expect an announcement from the team around 1130 or so tomorrow, tomorrow morning or today when you're listening to this podcast, uh, or if you are listening to it a couple days later, go back and check and see what time it actually got posted. Cause it'll be right around, you know, 12 hours or so after, after I post the podcast. So, so let's take this for granted. Let's say that this deal is done, which according to, uh, sector Bostero, which is a, an account with, uh, about 64,000 followers, uh, it is. So I'm going to take that for what it's worth. Is this the type of player that Minnesota United should be going for? I mean, he has, he is 31. He has a track record in South American football. He has a pedigree. Uh, He is no one's definition of a spring chicken, and he may be carrying an injury that will affect his ability to play the way he has previously. So this is is the type of player that MLS 1.0 used to love. They adored players like this, particularly if they had played in Mexico, which, which one job has not, uh, so there's there's definitely that oh my gosh we're regressing like dint in the back of my mind but and like I said I love this but I'm curious to get you guys' opinion on that. Uh, I think depending on the price, um, I think it would be great. I'm just trying to figure out if like how much he's how how long he's still under contract for. Um, yeah, I mean, just looking at transfer market, the market value for him is is like four point six two million dollars. So my guess is he comes in, he comes in as a TAM player, or I'm sorry, a DP uh, for this year, with probably the uh, the ability for us to buy him down to TAM next year would be my would be my guess because I'm not sure. Um, although maybe it might be TAM just because it is it is a loan. So there's like I guess it really depends on. I, I really like it as a, as a Tam striker signing that leaves us an option to go after like a, a left wing DP. I still like it as a D if it would be a DP uh, type of 
uh, signing, loan slash potential signing. Um, I'm a little, I, I'm not, I don't like it as much, but especially considering we're getting, you know, we're still, we're only four weeks, you know, less than four weeks out from the start of the season. We, we, we need it more than two strikers on the roster or two and a half strikers on the roster, I guess, or I guess two and a quarter strikers on the roster. Um, so I like it just generally, I would like it a lot more as a TAM signing. Is that, if that makes sense? Yeah, it absolutely does. MJ. I actually agree with David on the, the price matters. You know, if, if this is a TAM level deal or the, the TAM, we don't need the TAM to make the loan go through whatever, uh, eventually it would be around a TAM level deal. I'm, I'm cool with it. Um, if it's like we're paying DP level money for a 31 year old striker, that's not cool. 31 year old coming off an injury striker. That's not a good deal. Um, I do like what Dan has to say about shortening your adapting to a new team when you're probably number one passing partner in the formations that Heath likes to play is someone that you played with before in, in Argentina. That's, that's huge. And it's hard to put a price on that. His contract is through 2022. So um, presumably you could. Yeah. So anyways. Yeah. And I suppose that's the other X factor, right? We don't know what his wages are. So it may, it, it could very well be the case that the loan fee is not particularly high, but his wages do start to bind Minnesota's hands a little bit. Right. Um, that would not, not surprise me totally, but uh, boy, I'll tell you what, if you can get a player like this in as a TAM signing, go out and get a high money left wing DP. Like I know we slagged this off season, but holy shit, the team starts to look really good. They look really good in that case. Oh, uh, yeah, 100%. But, uh, I mean, that's still a big if. We're still a long way from home on that. But, man, it feels it feels like it's starting to come together. You bring him in, bring one chope in, you bring in a solid left wing. I know we talked odds last week, but, man – May have to drive down to Diamond Joe and throw, <laughs> throw some bucks on the lens. Because honestly, this is a very, very complete team. You know, <laughs> now you start yeah. to talk yourself into what if what if Opara comes back healthy? You know, what if, what if, what if, what if? And but. and then and then what if they get, you know, just the then they just need one or two maybe depth pieces, right? You're not trying to go after a big a big name or something in the uh in the summer window. You're you're just trying to get you figure out the team plays together for a few months. You say, okay, what, what is our biggest need? You need to go out and get that as opposed to like having to try and find that big money DP. Um, and, and, or you're like, no, we're actually pretty good. We just need, we want to have a little more extra depth for, you know, whatever position. Um, so yeah, I think that'd be great. So any, any last words on, on this, uh, what will eventually be a signing that will happen tomorrow uh, <laughs> afternoon? No, let's just get this one across the line and not have it Reynoso because yeah. it, it is worth pointing out. And, I, and alone is a little bit different. It's a slightly different situation. But Reynoso also, the name came up very quickly. It came up as, wow, this deal is almost done. Minnesota is going to get it across the line. That was February 14th of last year. And granted, COVID happened and not all that shit. But like, we know how long that took, even though the reports were this deal is almost done. Yeah. So, and an, I think an, until Sorry. I can buy a one jersey in the uh, in the team store, 
I'm not going to get too excited about this, but right. the potential exists for a really good signing. And at two point, I think uh, I think Dan, I think you actually made this point in uh, Slack that were another a different soccer Slack that we're in. If uh, this spoke speaks well, I mean, it was weird when they when they basically that tweet came out basically saying that you know uh, the board rejected it out of hand when the Mark Watson's been doing the work down there. Uh, did all the work with Bruno. So this maybe actually bodes well for a, a good relationship with a team like Boca Juniors in South America, which would bode well for Minnesota going forward, um, especially if they can get loan deals like this done. Um, so I don't know. That's, and if we do, if they, if they get one more, I think we just need to build a statue of Mark Watson out front of Allianz field. <laughs> if, uh, if the loons win the title, on a Reynoso to Juan Chope goal, I will get Mark Watson's face tattooed on my body. You heard, <laughs> it, here. You heard it here first. <laughs> you heard it here first. That is a that's a binding legal agreement. Um, you can hear right. about you can hear about Ramon on any podcast, but tats of Mark Watson on that you hear exclusively on the Dave Zayam. I feel sorry for whichever intern has to listen to this podcast and then report back to Mark Watson that uh, one of the po- one of the hosts of the podcast agreed to get a tattoo of uh, his face on their body if they got signed another or if they if they won a cup with a couple of uh, uh, Argentinian dudes uh, scoring goals. So, all right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we will talk the uh, U.S. men's national team and the uh, baby nets. You want me to be that type of dude, and I. Won't you be who you like me to? But we both know I can't do nothing at all. Yeah. And we're back. Uh, the Dave's I Know podcast. We just got done talking some Minnesota United news. Done a ton of MLS news. Uh, we're not seeing a ton of stuff out of um, matches, you know, going off without fans and not being broadcast. So, not sure we'll have a ton of MLS news generally uh, going forward for the next couple of weeks here, but we do have some um, U.S. national team news, specifically on the men's side, um, and specifically the U23s um, are playing down in Mexico for the Olympic qualifying. Uh, they have played two games so far. Uh, they beat Costa Rica on the 18th, uh, one to nothing, a Ferreira goal that was. Uh, Helped out by Sonny Dotson. And then last night uh, against the Dominican Republic, they um, kind of played like shit for a half. And then in the second half, really, really turned it on, specifically when they turned it on with Hassani Dotson, who started in the Costa Rica game, uh, came on in about, I want to say it was like the 60th or the 61st minute. Or no, it was a little bit later than that because this Jack Newell goal was scored in like the 61st minute. Anyways, game wasn't going super great. Hassani Dotson comes on, he scores two goals, and the Dominican Republic. Um, loses to the United States four to nothing, and with the results of Mexico beating Costa Rica, uh, guarantees that U.S. team is going to be playing in the semifinals with a chance to go to uh, the Tokyo Olympics in the summer. So, uh, what do you guys? Do you guys have any other quick thoughts on either of these two games, or uh, otherwise we can just talk about the Hassani Dotson show? I love Jackson Ewell and Dotson being on the pitch together. That that's super fun to watch. I did not get to see the Costa Rica game, but my understanding is, and you guys will correct me if I'm wrong, that even though we only won one nil off of a Ferreira goal, that Dotson played super solid in that game as well. Yeah, I think Colin O'Donnell uh, 
said it best. Uh, he said, uh, Dotson did work that made no sense from a tactical or technical perspective, but it helped a lot. And that's that's totally true. Like, Jason Christ seems to be completely comfortable with not really putting Hassani Dotson on the field in a position so much as to Hassani Dotson it. Um, to track back... Like, that's the perfect way to describe it, honestly. Like, he's not... He doesn't have... Yeah, he, he's he's very much box to box, but also gets into the box too. You know, it's it's weird. Yeah, and in the first game when he played phenomenally well, most of what he was doing didn't show up on the stat sheet at all. He was just always in passing lanes. He was harrying ball carriers. Um, and then on the offensive side, he was constantly in the right place. His movement in both of these games has just been absolutely excellent. Uh, but then, yeah, in the, the Dominican Republic game, when they weren't offering a ton going forward, it was clear that he went on to Hassani Dotson it, and, but on the offensive side. And, and to be a consistent option, to start attacks, to see incisive passes. And then, yeah, in, in both of his goals... The first was really good movement to be in the right place at the right time. And then one thing United fans have seen from Dotson repeatedly, which is he can get a hell of a lot of power on a shot with almost no backswing of his leg. He absolutely rockets the ball and it doesn't take him a lot of time to get it off, which was crucial to that first goal. And then the second goal, um, he may be wanted in Mexico for what happened on that second goal. He, uh, I, I I would kind of disagree with like that he rocketed the shot, but he just he didn't need to take he didn't need to take a swing, right? Like it wasn't it wasn't the if you're if you didn't watch if you didn't see the goal, it wasn't like the classic Kasani Dotson banger that we are very much used to up here. Um the ball stayed on the ground, but he he got enough behind it that the goalkeeper basically stood still. Like there was nothing the goalkeeper could do, nothing that the defenders could do. And he literally um Dan to your point, like he didn't have much of a backswing at all on it. And he was able to put enough power. A lot of, I mean, I go out this on the, onto a soccer pitch or whatever, and try to do something like that. I'm going to dribble it like three yards in front of me. Um, this is about uh, almost at the top of the top of the box. So like almost 18 yards out, and he was able to get enough behind it that the goalkeeper didn't even have a chance. Didn't even, didn't even dive for it. Like the goalkeeper was just flat footed. So. Which I think is to, to, to the, to the, to his credit, but also, um, it wasn't a banger in the sense of bangers. Um, MJ, you talk about this. Like, I, re- I really want to talk about uh, how, like, why he's like, you know, going to be on trial for murder in Mexico here in a couple, in a couple days. I, oh boy. Uh, just going back to that, that first goal, it was a situation where I don't know how big the lane was, but he knew where the lane was before he got the ball. He, he knew exactly what angle, yeah. if he got the ball, where he was slotting it, which was back across to the kind of far post. He was, he was cutting from left to right, and he, and, and he hit it back to, to the left. And, uh, and, and the goalkeeper froze, and the defenders were froze, and it went through, I don't know how many people's legs, but whatever lane that was there, he knew where it was. And we continue to see this with Dotson of just having a really, really good pitch awareness, whether that's where the opposing attackers are, whether they're your, your teams, uh, your teammates are, where the defenders are, where the goalkeeper is. He just has really, really good field awareness. 
and yeah, and so that second goal, um, if you haven't seen the goal, I would I would highly recommend <laughs> figuring out a way to watch it. I will see if I can find a way to embed it um when I post the podcast onto the our WordPress page or whatever. But he he gets a, it's from it's from Mihailovich again. So uh, uh, Mihailovich and Dotson came out at the same time. Mihailovich was gave him the pass for the first goal. Um, they're cycling the ball around the top of the box. Mihailovich, Mihailovich hits a pass that I think most people, like, MJ, to your point about field awareness, would step into. Um, but Dotson just lets it just ru- like glide right by him, and the defender uh, just le- like lurches forward, but is totally out of position and just he kind of stumbles and just sort of stands there and Dawson takes like another touch before he actually takes a shot uh at a at the, to the far post uh it was a it was an absolute thing of beauty he absolutely murdered the uh left back for Dominican Republic and to Dan's point is probably wanted for murder uh in Guadalajara <laughs> right now so on both of the goals his first touch was just absolutely perfect took the sting off the ball and did it and then just moved exactly where he needed to. He looks so good in both of those games. And it's really interesting. It's it's funny because Jason Christ has gone like out of his way to praise Dotson by name a couple of times. And, uh, you know, Jeff Reuter pointed out and uh, Callum Williams, good heavens, Callum Chambers was the first one to come to mind because <laughs> I have Arsenal on the brain. Uh Cal Williams pointed out or uh, mentioned the same thing, which is that the more you watch Dotson, the better he gets. And every time there's a new challenge for him to step up to, he steps up. And I think we're really seeing that in these matches. I mean, if you ask a casual observer, Dotson was a little bit of a borderline entrance on the team. He's been the team's best player through two games, two wins. Um, yeah, hundred percent. And, and, I'll, I'll use this as a lead into MJ's question. I'm going to be a hundred percent honest. I would not have him in the 18 against Mexico. That game, that game does not matter to me. I don't <laughs> want them to know one damn thing about Hassani Dotson before they have to face him when it really matters. So that brings us to the, to the next game, which is on Wednesday uh, against Mexico. It's at eight 30 PM uh, central time. So uh, don't have to worry about, that Costa Rica game that they played where they were playing in the sun. God, it looks so goddamn hot down there. Which I was like l- lusting after as someone who enjoys the heat, but um, it'll be eight 30 at night. And MJ had, you know, posed a great question. What lineup does Christ put out for uh, this match versus Mexico? It is a dead rubber. It's, I mean, it's not a dead rubber in that it, whoever wins. Um, if it's a draw, Mexico goes through as the group leader. Cause they have a better goal differential. Uh, whoever wins the game uh, would go take first place in the group and would play the um, second place team in group B, which I mean, group B is uh, Canada, Haiti, El Salvador and Honduras. Uh, Canada is, I think currently Honduras is top of the group with Canada second, uh, El Salvador third and Haiti fourth, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so I'm just watching that Canada game, watching I'm currently watching the Honduras El Salvador game while we're recording the podcast. None of those teams really scare me. So it doesn't really matter. Like you don't, you don't need to finish first in this group. Um, and then the semifinals take place uh, on Sunday. So um, MJ, I'll start with you since it's your question. Um, you know, is it how meaningful and important is it beating Mexico and winning the group? 
and uh, what kind of lineup do you think um, we should throw out there? As much as I would like to say, this is U.S. versus Mexico, and you put your chips all in, and you know, winning the group is super important. And plus, it's a huge psychological advantage. You know, if we play Mexico again in the final, like it, it, we just want to win this game. It doesn't matter. I'm sorry, this game doesn't matter. Oh, and shit, El Salvador just scored. Sorry. <laughs> so. Because this game doesn't matter, and I, and I asked what lineup does I want to simplify. I didn't want us to go through our starting 11. I was just like, do you put out the Costa Rica lineup? Do you put out the Dominican Republic lineup? Or do you do something else? And I would say you either put out something in between the Costa Rica lineup and the Dominican Republic lineup. So like, not as raw and oh we're just wanting to get some minutes and take a look at kind of our, our less experienced players and not as good as the Costa Rica lineup. You either do that or you do the Costa Rica lineup but maybe like one notch you you rest you know two or three really good players. I think the the one thing I'm a hundred percent sure of is whatever keeper you think is going to play against Mexico when it counts you play that keeper against them in this borderline dead rubber match Um, let them get a a sense of how their their attackers are going to move let them see things a little differently Um, I like Marcinkowski JC Marcinkowski from uh, uh, San Jose played well at the end of last season Uh, (laughs) would have led the earthquakes to a wonderful upset of uh, Kansas City, if not for superhero Timelia. Um, right, yeah. But David Ochoa, who played in the first game against Costa Rica, oh my word, he, he was stood the best. on his head. He was incredible. Yeah. Absolutely fantastic player. So I, I don't have a strong preference between those two, who you play in that game against Mexico, but whichever one you choose, if you're Kreis, be be pretty sure that's your keeper for the final as well. Um, so that's, that's the one piece. I think you rest some of the players that have gotten some. I think Yule probably sits for this one. Yep. I think, yeah, I think, I think, I think we're all kind of on the same page. I think it's a Dominican lineup um, with a few couple the players who played both, both games probably don't, um, Jack Jackson, for example, started, doesn't play. I agree with you, Dan, I, that the one thing I want to see is I want to see Ochoa because uh, I'm assuming that that is that he's the number one in terms of at least currently with this team. So I would I would expect that Ochoa would be back in. Um, yeah, I think you give Jackson Ewell a rest. I mean, these are these are all like, you know, 23, like under 24 year old kids. So they should be able to theoretically, you know, go again. But it's it's a quick turnaround. Um but I would do, yeah. I would probably run out the Dominican lineup again with, uh, um, with yeah, with like specifically Ewell, I think would be the one. And Ferreira, Ferreira hasn't, even though he scored the goal, has not looked great. He picked up a knock at the end of the Costa Rica match, so I think you definitely just you keep him out of the eighteen if you can. Don't even have him on the on the bench. Um, you know, I don't. I wouldn't mind Dotson getting a, a, a short run out, maybe 10, 12 minutes at the end of the game. But I don't think you start them. I don't think you led Mexico. Um, see what they can do. And the other, the other, I mean, thing to consider too is like Mexico also probably doesn't want to throw out their best players too, right? They're 
they, they want to rest. They want to make sure that they're going to get to that gold medal or to that, you know, to the final, um, make it to the Olympics again. Uh, remember they just, they won a gold medal back in, was it 2012? The U23 team did, I think. I think it was 2012 that uh, Mexico won a gold medal. So they're very, they want to get back to the, the Olympics and, and win another, win another medal again. So I don't think we're going to see a full, a full strength Mexico lineup either. So no, I would agree with that. And I got to admit, I was screwed up on this. I really thought that it was top two in the group, then squared off in the semis. So A1, B1 versus, or sorry, A1 versus A2 to the final. Oh, no, B1 no, versus B2 no. to the final. Yeah. That's not the case at all. Cross bracket, okay. yeah. So, which is, which is that, so one of the really interesting elements here is this means in terms of just value for qualification, nothing else, the U.S. then plays zero relevant games against Mexico. Correct. Correct. Which is completely well, fascinating. I mean, there's always pride on the line. Like these things do matter. But I mean, t- that's t- not technically true because it is technically a group stage you need to get. But it, in actuality, because of how things, you know, worked out with U.S. beating Costa Rica, you are correct. They're they are not playing any games that are against Mexico that are really matter that much. So well, if they so, play the final, it doesn't matter. Like whoever wins, it doesn't matter. Like they're both going to to Tokyo. So yeah. So that's that's really interesting. Um, so which is, which is that why... colors something I said last week, which is that Canada should absolutely qualify. Canada is no Canada's not going to qualify. <laughs> which is which is um, it's interesting because the when these groups were announced, uh, U.S. was an unseated team in in the group um, because of their performance in the Olympic qualifying tournaments. Um, so that's why they were put into the, like they were drawn into the, the Mexico Costa Rica group. And, you know, one of the things that people said at the time, well, it's, you know, it sucks. You have to play Costa Rica. Who's got a, a bunch of really good young kids um, who did not honestly, in my estimation, play all that well together, even though like half the Alawense team is, is on the, is the Costa Rican U23 team. <laughs> um, but the, everybody was saying, it was like, well, but if you get out of, if you get to the semifinals, you don't have to play Mexico or Costa Rica in the other, in the semifinal. Like right. if you get out, if you can just win one of those games, then you're into the semifinals and then you're playing, yeah, you're playing a much weaker nation. Um, whether it's, and not to say that beating Honduras or El Salvador uh, or Canada for that matter is a, is a given. Um, I think any one of those three teams could give the U S a run for their money, but it's, it's a much easier path. And on paper, the U.S. I, well, and the games aren't played on paper. On paper, the U.S. should what well, would be the favorite in any of those games, um, except the final against Mexico. I think Mexico is still the favorite in this. Oh yeah, based on based on what I've seen of Honduras, and I missed Honduras's first game. If I'm entirely honest, although they were the ones playing against a very weak um, Haiti team, yes, yeah. yeah. So I, I don't know how much we can take from that. Um, the U.S. has looked better than all of those teams in this tournament so not we're not playing the game on paper we're not talking about flags or anything like that just players on the pitch the u.s has looked better um even against the dominican when they were being wasteful in their chances and the u.s hasn't even looked all that great in this tournament i mean outside of like about a 25 to 30 minute stretch against costa rica and basically the last 30 minutes of against the Dominican Republic where they looked really good. They haven't, she haven't looked that great. And I mean, to be fair, I mean, I watched the, the Mexico games too. Mexico looked a lot better last night against Costa Rica. They did not look super great when they played 
uh, the Dominican Republic um, uh, last uh, Thursday. They, they, they very much looked like they were. I don't want to say that they didn't respect the Dominican Republic because that, that's there's like a moral judgment. They went into that game very much expecting to win. And you could see the passages of play where they were like, oh, shit, we actually do need to score. And oh, shit, we actually do need another goal because they and just they, kicked it up a notch and, and, and the Dominican did, Republic couldn't cope. And they didn't play a first a full first choice squad, too, which they did against a, a much a much uh, better team against Costa Rica than they against the Dominican Republic. So. Um, all right. So semifinals are on Sunday. Uh, we'll know um, who we're playing um, after the matches on Wednesday. Or sorry, uh, Thursday. Wednesday is the Group A, Thursday's Group B. So we'll know after Thursday who will be playing on Sunday. Um, I believe they matches are like five and eight. So um, yeah, uh, throw bookmark your Saturday, Sunday, or your Sunday afternoon. Uh, or Sunday evening off and, and watch some, some decent, uh, some decent soccer. Cause there's been, there's, and there's, really, there's actually good players that players that you would know if you were an MLS fan um, it, playing for, for all these teams. So it's fantastic. All right. And then the senior team, uh, the men's national team, which is mostly a European based team with uh, Aaron long also getting called in. Uh, they play uh, on Thursday against Jamaica at noon and then Northern Ireland on Sunday at 11.05 a.m. So there was, there's been a bunch of back and forth on players um, based in Germany being able to play in one game but not the other. Now this, that's been clarified that they can play in both games. Um, there's a couple players that are out. Uh, Tim Weah is now out. Uh, Tyler Adams has pulled out. Um, you guys have any thoughts on, on these? These are the last um, friendlies. Sorry, before I take it back. I think we have a friendly against Switzerland in May before we start playing competitive games again, including the nation's league and world cup qualifying. So I think personally, I think we'll see a, a full strength squad against Jamaica. I think we'll see a weekend squad against North or a weaker squad against Northern Ireland. Um, Northern Ireland will probably play a weaker squad too, because that match is sandwiched between two world cup qualifiers for them. Yeah. I don't know how much you can say about the men's national team right now in terms of how good they are. Uh, the games they've played have, they've all been weird for one reason or another. It's the game against, was it Panama in Wales or uh, the, the game against TNT, but it's only TNT's U S based players. And it wasn't even all of them because Kevin Molino didn't play in that game. Like I, I don't know how much you can say about this team. It honestly feels with these friendlies, like it sort of doesn't matter who's on the other side. This is more about Burhalter getting players together, getting some rhythm between them, getting them to know each other a little better. And then they'll sort of take their chances when it comes to qualifying, which I'm not saying he has better options because the, the rules of the road are what they are right now in terms of quarantine and how you move players and all that good stuff. Um, the game against Jamaica is probably the most interesting that they have played in over a year. Um, so that'll if, be the one I'm paying more attention to, but yeah. even if the, if the U S won by 10 or lost by 50, I don't know that you could say anything about that match. I don't, nothing that happens in the next month is really going to change my opinion on what world cup qualification is going to look like barring some like, Giassi's artist tears his ACL and 
Daryl DK uh, goes Super Saiyan and flies into space to fight aliens, and like the like half the player pool gets you know not COVID but like ultra COVID. Barring those things, nothing that happens is going to be meaningful. Yeah, I I wonder if we'll see Mikhail Antonio in that Jamaica uh, setup. He just I, I know he was um, put a, put his transfer. In. I'm not sure if it's been approved or not from by FIFA, but uh, West Ham. Mikhail Antonio West Ham uh, striker slash nuisance for a lot of teams, um, particularly <laughs> Arsenal uh, of late. <laughs> uh, when when he's healthy, he ruins everybody, man. But that yes, hamstring, that hamstring is made of unicorn tears and spun sugar. And like, and <laughs> I, I feel for him because there's a reason that he, he held off playing for Jamaica for so long. He wanted to play for England, but at his, his position is so deep. And if you can't guarantee that that player is going to be healthy, why would you waste a slot on him? So I feel a little bad for Antonio making this switch because I don't think it's what he necessarily really wanted his career trajectory to be. Um, The reality is, though, the U.S. does not have anyone on the roster who matches up really well with him. And boy, has Berhalter got to figure out a game plan for that. Otherwise, Antonio will ruin the United States. So when he's healthy... Is Mikel Antonio the second best player in CONCACAF? I'm, I'm, I'm giving Alfonso Davies being the best player in CONCACAF. Is Antonio the second best player? I think he's easily top five when he's healthy. Yeah, when he's healthy. Um, I think you could make an argument for uh, Edison Alvarez from, from Mexico. You could make an That's argument a pass for, for me. <laughs> yeah, you could no. make an argument for Pulisic, I guess. Maybe I, I he's, think he's, he's got, also top five. I think I think I think he's got. I think Antonio has a, le- a legitimate shot at being the second best player in Concacaf. When he, well, again, caveat when healthy. Uh, Raul Jimenez is another name I'll throw. Raul in Jimenez, there. yes. Okay, sorry. So yeah, so I think it's between and but they're both. Genio also, Dest. Dest has looked good. He has. I think he's. In the conversation, I think he's still. I think he's right on the cusp of that top five. Um, I mean, recency I, I bias. Top, I recency, top 10, but... recency bias being what it is. Obviously, Sergio Des looked really good recently. <laughs> yeah. um, but that, we're not talking about. Uh, we're not talking about other, other, all that other stuff. So, you guys have any other, any other thoughts on the U.S. men's team? Um, games will be on. I'm, I'm assuming at the Black Card, people will want to go. I will soccer. be curious if if Aaron, if Brendan Aronson gets gets minutes. What is his position for Greg Berhalter? Is he is he a left wing? Is he um? I mean, what is he? I don't know. Okay, there's a there's a lot of players like that on this squad. I mean, Tyler Adams has settled into sort of a defensive midfielder, but he played quite a bit in different positions. Uh, Weston McKenney famously didn't have a position for a long time, right? So. I, I, it's a it's it's interesting that both Burhalter and Kreis are sort of cultivating those players where it's like okay if I want to play a defensive I play this lineup but I tell them to play defense and if I want to play offensive I actually play the exact same lineup I just tell them to play offensive instead and uh it, it's interesting I guess the the player I'm most interested to see is Yunus Musa uh, filed the one-time switch, so he is a U.S. Right. full international. I'm very excited. He has shown really well for Valencia this season. He has tailed off badly over the last couple of months. So 
let's see what he's got. There's a another um, soccer newsletter that I subscribe to. That's you have to pay for it. But he was he was writing um, uh, Ryan Hanlon. If you guys are familiar, uh, writes the No Grass in the Clouds uh, newsletter. Anyways, he was he had did a, a piece about Yunus Musa, basically about how Yunus Musa is the most wasteful attacking player in Europe right now. <laughs> like <laughs> legitimately the, the most wasteful attacking player in Europe. However, the 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 the, the point there being is that the type of things that he's doing, um, the comparables to him, right, are uh, either literally some of the best players in the world right now, uh, or very good players. And at the at the worst, they were like serviceable club players who played for ten to twelve years in one of the big five European leagues for a team, right? So like that floor is is ridiculously high. But the highs are literally like Mbappe, Neymar, Erling Holland, right? So that's like that is that's his like that's his ceiling, and he because he's so young still. Like the dude is very very young still, eighteen years old. Yeah, and so he's his ceiling is very high, but his but his floor is not his floor isn't like absurdly low, right? His floor is not going to be playing in MLS in in three years. His floor is like he'll play for like a team like Valencia or Sevilla or something um, as like good regular player for 12 years which is like a really good fucking career right so oh when you said his floor is so low i thought you meant like his floor is out of soccer in two years oh no 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 yeah no his floor is so low in that like it's it's literally like mls or something in three years no his so he, floor is, he, he is a high floor oh his yeah no his floor is very high like the low sorry i i did i did not say that correctly yeah the floor is very very high it's you know a really good player who's a regular, who's maybe not like an all-star caliber, you know, best 11 league player every year, but he's like, it's very serviceable. And his ceiling is fucking, you know, Erling Holland, Mbappe, Neymar-esque. So again, uh, using the, the proxy variable of like fan response or media response. If you read the British papers on Moose's one-time switch, they are not happy. They were... They- <laughs> They, they were they, knew, they thought for sure that he was going to he was, he was going to declare for England yeah so um i he's another though that that i think the the english depth in midfield got to him a little bit cuz he plays a very similar position to Bakayo Saka and i will wholeheartedly admit at this moment i cannot be rational about saka uh, <laughs> but he is objectively a year younger than musa and uh, he he's special like real special so when you have that guy ahead of you i i certainly don't blame musa for looking at that and going you know what i can deal with this for the rest of my career or or i can be beloved in the united states and making himself a business decision right for sure okay that brings us to the the, the meat of the podcast which is now it's you know about an hour in so now we get to be the, the good stuff uh going back to our Hassani dotson conversation uh, this is a very good question, I believe, posed by Dan in our in our, our text thread. How do we get Dotson in the lineup um, with Minnesota United this year? Uh, MJ and I we watched the the match last night, and I I kind of you know and with West and seemingly joked. I was like, well, I think the over under on actual matches that Hassani Dotson plays for Minnesota this year um, is twenty. Because 
honestly, I mean, number one, I think he's going to be in the, he's going to be on the Olympic roster, right? He, uh, and this team has not really figured out how to use him properly, but I think we can figure out how to use Hassani Dotson properly. So I want to have a conversation with that. I don't want to talk about um, Adrian Heath's failings as a, as a man and a coach and a human being, because there are many. Um, I want to talk about how we could use Hassani Dotson in this roster. So um, Dan, since this is your question, I'll start with you. How do we get Dotson into this lineup on a much more regular basis? I think the hard thing about what Dotson is, is it takes a coach like a Christ, like a bear halter to say, you know what positions, not actually that important. I'm more interested in having players on the field. And that is not Adrian Heath. Adrian Heath wants a nine who is back to goal. He wants a 10 who is incisive. He wants his wings collapsing in and, Dotson can do those things. I mean, he showed that he can. It's just not where he's his best. Um, the I think we will see a bunch of Dotson as the eight. So the Euros go from June 11th to July 11th. And so Grey Goose will be gone for some portion of that. I don't particularly rate Slovakia's chances of going super deep. Um, so he probably won't be gone the full month. But either way... The Olympics begin July 23rd and go to August 8th. So Dotson yeah. will have however long Greg Goose's the Euros. But there's, to... there's going to be some sort of training camp before the Olympics too, right? So yeah, yeah be, I mean. There, there's going to be some, there'll be overlap in between, like there'll be overlap probably. But even if, let's say the camp starts two weeks before, so that's July 10th, give or take. Uh, depending on what quarantine protocols and, and this, that, and the other may be, it, it really may be Greg is back for an overlapping game. It may be Greg is back for zero overlapping games. So either way, Dotson is going to get the month of June and the beginning of July to show what he can do as the starting eight, because there is no chance on earth that he doesn't get the chance to, to show there. So I think he'll have that. The Olympics are not super long in all of these tournaments. I guess the X factor is, does he get called up to the senior team? Um, copying a theme that we just touched on. There's a lot of competition at his position for however much his position matters. Um, beyond that, in terms of like, let's say, let's say this were a normal season and we weren't trying to navigate disruption and all that kind of stuff. So how do you get Hassani Dotson on the field? I think, I think this team has fallen in love with the fact that Hassani Dotson is a freak athlete. And he can play fullback uh, and he can play 90 minutes of up and down running fullback, crossing fullback, all that good stuff. I think Asani Dotson's best position, if it's not a box to box eight, is probably right wing. Uh, <laughs> you know, we have a few of those, though. So honestly, if his best position to Jason Christ is his credit is on the pitch. Yeah, it's true. Um, so... Honestly, here's here is what I will say. I think Jan Gregush has a great Euros and Minnesota should sell him immediately. You have his backup already in place. Rodrigo is with you 100% on on that. And I love Jan Gregush. I really do. He's really come into his own as a leader on this team. But Will Trapp can be a vocal leader. Um, That's 
in no small part why the team brought him in. You still have Ozzy. You have Ike. Hopefully he's healthy. I understand it's an X factor. You can't keep a player like Grey Goose just for his leadership. So if you can get decent value for him, sell him back to Europe during the during that open window, capitalize on his value and give Dotson the keys to the kingdom. Um, the one thing I want to see more from him that we actually didn't see last year was his short passing ability and his ability to connect with Reynoso. Now that's going to be critical. Whoever plays the eight has to be basically the, the, the platform for Reynoso to do Babelow things. So that's, it's, it's not a strategy without risk, but yes, as of today, I would be subtly courting offers for Grey Goosh, and I would be aggressively courting them if he looks even remotely good at Euros. Along with what you guys have said about making sure he gets on the pitch, and what I said months ago about what is Minnesota United's biggest roster issue, and we were wanting to talk about, you know, pegs versus the holes that you fit them in and blah, blah, blah. We need a left winger. We need a striker. And I was like, we need to find a way that Dotson can play 90 minutes. We need to find a way that he can start and, and be on the pitch. And my answer to that is a four, three, three. Now we all know who the manager is and we know the that fa- he famously lover of four, three, three is Adrian Heath. Yeah. <laughs> he, he tends to trot them out when, he decides to play all the bench players at the same time. He wants to say, fuck you to everybody. <laughs> and against a team like, you know, LAFC or a, a team that like, he knows we're going to lose on the road anyway, and we're just going to rest a bunch of our starters. So why don't we just play this kind of junk 4-3-3 offense, junk 4-3-3 or 4-4-2 defense, and just see if the, if the kids can, can do it. Uh, but... If we have a Will Trap, maybe Ozzy, but we'll, we'll just say Will Trap, Gregush, Dotson as your three midfielders, where, don't worry, Bruce, two of those guys are attacking midfielders. It's not three defensive midfielders. Two of them are attacking. And so if we have something like that, where then instead of needing a front four, like you would in a 4-2-3-1, and we're like, man, we're down a left, left winger, we're down a striker. Now we just need a front three. And you could put Reynoso as your as your nine. You could put Reynoso on the left wing, and you have Lud. And then whether you want to put Finley Agadello or Nico Hansen or whoever else, um, Abila, you whoever else is your third. But then we're only minus one spot that we're kind of unsure of, and we can rotate people in there and try them out, sub them out in that uh, front three spot. So I say four three three. All right, uh, thing that will never happen in life ever. Um, so I kicked this idea around on Twitter last night, and in, in and while we were watching the match, uh, and Heath has actually played in this formation uh, a three-five-two. Now we've never played a three-five-two with the actual proper players to do it, and given those people the actual proper responsibilities. So hear me out here. Uh, this is. Uh, assuming this is obviously not with Abla involved. This is uh, assuming Ikapar is healthy and, and playing, which, you know, we haven't heard anything oh since the last time. So you could, you could sub in uh, a Brent Coleman or a Callum Montgomery, or probably a uh, Yuka Retala in the Ikapar spot. If you absolutely need to or rotate people around, but 
in the ideal three five two, it would be um Debasi, Boxall, Opara, uh Gasper, uh Greg Us, Dotson, <sighs> Trap. I would be I'd be fine with maybe Jacory Hayes in there, um, or Ozzy Alonso, depending on who the opponent is. Uh and then uh, Metnir on the on the far right as that right wing back and Lude and um, Reynoso up top. Also, considering our coach, even though he does have to play that formation, I say he's played that formation just like he's played the 4-3-3 in games that 100%, don't mean, yes. don't no. mean shit. And- down, in Kansas, down in Kansas City, when he has only he only brought 14 players, he plays a 3-5-2, yes, 100%, I understand that. However, he has played that formation a lot more than he's played a 4-3-3. I and, think and Kelly brought this up it, last night. Didn't we play a three-five-two versus versus LAFC when we upset them? I think so. Well, we yeah. did. I think we did. We did. Yeah. So, yeah. So I, that th- I be, think that is the that only... would be the that would be the one game where you could say that that the three-five-two might have more weight in the Heath Arsenal. Oh, and that was that that win was a, a total fluke too. That was not a that yeah. was a, yeah. That was Mason Toy deciding to. Uh, put a fucking thunderbolt into his, into his uh, boot and uh, score some absolute stonkers of goals. And then just bunkering back with like 10 people or nine people in front of goal. So yeah, that was not a, uh, uh, so I don't know. Like I'm, I'm warming up to it a lot more, especially now I was, I mean, anybody who's listening to this podcast since the very first one that we did four and a half years ago. Um, number one, are you okay? Do you need help? Uh, I apologize. Um, has known that I've been railing for a, a proper three-five-two from this team, or a three-four-two-one, or something like that, for since day one. I, I and we haven't had the actual like we actually have the players who could play that position. Um, if you take away some of Chase Gasper's uh, needing to defend and just let him get forward, that's good for the team, right? If you uh, let Romain Matnier make some of those overlapping runs. That's good for the team, I think. And yeah, depending on the opponent, you could put in Ozzy Alonso. This also, I think, help limit Ozzy Alonso's minutes because he doesn't need to play every match. You can sub him in when you put him in when you know it's going to be, you might need to bunker back a little bit where you're maybe going to try and do a smash and grab, um, you know, counter and get a, get a goal or two, and then hopefully just defend for your fucking life. Um, And when you know you want, you can get a little forward. You could put in a guy like Ja'Cory Hayes, uh, or Nico Hansen um, to maybe just try and like score three goals in the first half and just it put the game away. I don't know. Those are, it's growing on me a lot more now that I think about it. So um, that is, that's my thoughts on how we do better at getting Asani Dotson into the lineup more regularly. But Dan, I, to your point, I, I, I totally get it. Um, it. It wouldn't surprise me actually, honestly, if, if, uh, if they do do a little more rotation with Grey Goose and Dotson, um, especially after he's played so well, um, let Dotson, you know, maybe have those guys split time a little bit more. So maybe, you know, Grey Goose plays 60 minutes one game and then Dotson gets 30 minutes and then it's swapped for the next match. Because I think also we haven't seen the schedule, so we don't know. But I think there's going to be a, I mean, I, I think we were, I was thinking if they do, if they try to do a full schedule of 34 games plus the, the, uh, league cup thing they're doing with M- with league MX that Minnesota is in, oh, and if Minnesota yeah. makes it into the Open Cup, um, there's a potential for 40. And this is before playoffs, 
40 so games or so 40 something games. I think it would be the towards the higher end. So I mean, they try and do a full 34 game schedule that doesn't include any of the international duty stuff. So there's lots, there's gonna be lots of playing time for, for players. Um, but again, there's just a lot of, a lot of things, a lot of balls in the air and, and lots of things that we just don't know. For example, what the fuck is the MLS schedule going to be? So, and I think that's where both of your points about non four two three one formations are are super critical. Um, this team has a ton of talent. I mean, as much as we're we're lauding Hassani Dotson and as good as he has been in the U twenty threes, the aforementioned Bruce McGuire thinks Jacory Hayes is a better player than he is, and there's like an argument to be made for that. I don't necessarily agree, but that's not like I'm not going to make fun of Bruce's opinion because it's valid. So you've got Hayes, you've got Hanson, you've got Agadello, you've got like this team has a bunch of really solid pieces. And so cramming all of them consistently into a four, two, three, one is a huge mistake. Like we need, we need flexibility from Adrian Heath that we haven't necessarily seen. I think he's only played a three, five, two without Thomas Chacon once and i think it's that lafc game i think every other time he's run it out he has also run out his human white flag they 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 did it a couple times back in the uh in like 2018 uh again it was just it was a white flag it was it was definitely not a we're gonna we're trying to win this game with this different formation but yeah to your i i i fully accept your point uh mj dance a couple times mentioned that you know he is very much a kind of buy the book, have a formation. Each person in that formation has a role that he wants them to play. And there are certain types of players that don't do well with a coach like that. Um, you know, I will call these like high soccer IQ. You just go where you need to go. You know, it's not so much about what we can predict, but what we can't predict. And when, when, the, when game time happens, you, you can't predict all the scenarios of, where the opponents are going to be, where the ball is going to be. And you just have someone who has a side hopper IQ that likes to roam and is good at doing that. And not that they're on the same level with the same ceilings or the same backgrounds or the same age or anything like that. But Miguel Ibarra was really good at that. And that, that did not mesh well with what Keith, Keith wanted. And I hope that with a player of Dotson's caliber, whether he's learned from the Miguel Ibarra situation or not, he can, you know, loosen up his sphincter just a little bit to allow for more movement amongst the players. I don't want to belabor this too much, but I, two questions come to mind, MJ, based on what you've said, because I think you're dead on. One, can you imagine Heath trying to coach Crystal Dunn? A yeah, player, yeah, yeah, yeah. A player who is probably a top five for sure top 10 striker in the world and also a for sure top five or for sure top 10 probably top five defensive back <laughs> like <laughs> that's uh that's a relationship that would not go well yeah no um but okay so let's let's take that Dotson is one of those players as a given and that Heath cannot change as a given. And I'm not swearing to either of those things, but the, I think both of them are correct. If Minnesota United get, let's say $600,000 offer from Belgium or the Netherlands, do you sell Hassani Dotson? 
not for I, that price. Yeah, no, it's got to be it's got to be more than that. I think Sonny Dotson. Um, I mean, if he shows well against Mexico, because that is it's not the full Mexican U23 squad, but it's a still a pretty goddamn strong squad. So if he shows well against that team in the finals of the of the Olympic or the yeah Olympic qualifying, uh, and or goes to the Olympics and and plays pretty well, I think he's going to have a lot more value. But if like, if yeah, if, if a Belgian team, and this is the conversation that people are having with Daryl DK, right? You know, theoretically there was an offer for $10 million. Orlando city said, no, um, everybody's like, that's fucking crazy. It's Daryl DK. He literally was playing college soccer a year ago. And <laughs> you just turned down $10 million for the guy. Um, and the dude just can't stop scoring goals for, for Barnsley. So um, he's only just increasing his value. So I don't think, I think $600,000 would be way, I'm trying to think what the number would have to be where I'd be like driving him to the airport. So just for perspective, Reggie Cannon's transfer was 3 million and Reggie Cannon was a full U S international at that point had gotten multiple. I think he had started for the U S at that point, right? which Dotson decidedly has not. Uh, he so if he doesn't so Dotson's gonna be playing I mean assuming that they win their semifinal match on Sunday Dotson will be playing um, soccer this summer either with the Olympic team which again is a small roster and they can bring some overage players or with the gold cup I think he's gonna he'll, he'll be on one of those rosters he'll be on the gold cup roster he'll be on the the U23 roster um, so you said three million for Reggie Cannon Three million for Reggie Cannon, who was a full U.S. international and a year younger. Cannon is still just twenty-two, and boy, would I have said he was older. Yeah, I think if it's if you get if someone offers you one point five, you have to very, very much consider it. I think, yeah, anything over a million dollars, I think you have to have a serious conversation uh, about about it for for Hassani Dotson. Right, right now, if he plays really well. That number might go up, but I think if 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 yeah, if some Belgian team came to you know came to Minnesota United and said, well, you know, we want to buy him in the summer window, we want to buy him right now, if, assuming that windows were open right now, a million dollars, I think you'd have to have a, a very serious conversation about that. I think you have to do it because as the the more we're talking about this, the more I think we may be seeing not the peak of Asani Dotson's talent by any stretch, but I think we may be seeing the peak of his value. Because Fair the point. U.S. is so deep at his position, I think being a consistent men's national team regular is going to be a challenge. Um, I mean, I love the kid to death, but he's not Tyler Adams. Adams is by far the better player. Um, and that's who he'd be behind on the depth chart as of right now in, in that sort of rover position. Um, if he is going to be consistently confined to either right back or six, if the team isn't going to sell Grey Goosh, then he's not going to get the opportunity to show his a one skill set or his a one position, which means these games against, yep. Against Mexico, against either Canada or Honduras. Well, that group isn't settled at all, but presumably against either Canada or Honduras. Uh, and then the final, I think could be very, very close to the peak of his value. Although your point is well taken. He will play soccer this summer, but right now we are seeing him, 
show up on a big stage and play super well. If Minnesota you get an, I get a, an offer for seven hundred and fifty thousand for a second round draft pick. I mean, this is found money at that point, and and you go from being able to uh, go from a player like an Adrian who knew to a real striker. <laughs> That's unkind, but you know what I mean. Like, yeah, a million dollars in MLS means a ton. That's a million dollars in MLS is Icopara or Walker Zimmerman money. Yeah. Who that's fair. Instant, instantly changed it. So I think. And that's why I think man. for a million dollars, you're definitely having that conversation. And I, yeah, I could, I, I 100% understand your point of, of even $750,000. Like, like, and that's not, that's not gam, that it's actual like fucking cash, right? It's not like you're doing 750 gam, sending them to somewhere else. You're sending them, you know, to, to Europe. So I guess the other question would be is, is that, is that what a sign wants to do? Does he want to go to Europe? I would, I mean, I would assume so. But that I'm sure is a, a consideration as well for for him and for the team. Dan, I'm going to just push back a little bit. I think you're – I like what you're saying about this, but I think the whole – I think you're overvaluing a couple things. One, that this Olympics or this this Olympics and the U23 team will be Dotson's – you know, time to shine on the world, on the world stage and to how much European scouts are looking at CONCACAF World Cup qualifying or uh, Olympic qualifying. Now, don't get me wrong. There's, there, there are, there are European scouts looking at CONCACAF Olympic qualifying, but I wouldn't say this is like the peak of Hassani Dotson's value. And I, I would be very cautious to say that holding him on for two to six more years isn't going to like show fruit. I, I think that's entirely possible. I just wonder if he's someone who, when he plays in his ideal position and that sort of Rover spot, yeah, yeah. He, he shows exactly how good he is. The number of times that he'll, he'll have the opportunity to do that they're waning until at until the point at which the team sells Grey Goose and honestly like changes formation and a whole bunch of other things. Or um, we sell Adrian Heath. But that but that's the thing, right? Like if you look at the way this roster is built, Adrian Heath isn't losing his job after this season. I'll actually make that guarantee right now, especially because David isn't here to hear it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, he was. He just flipped me the bird. Uh this season Listen, is man, two... my, my headphones are on. I, I'm just, I'm walking around. I'm trying to like put out cats and shit. So I can hear you. <laughs> I I'm can't glad, respond. I, I, I'm glad I, I didn't start with heavier slander then. Um, Heath isn't losing his job after this season. There's no chance because the schedule is too weird. Uh, it's still like COVID stuff. Even if this team goes full Atlanta United and just looks horrible and loses games, they're not moving away from Heath. Um, That's sad. It, it really it really fucking sucks that that dude, who is probably an anti-vaxxer, um, <laughs> is, got bailed out by COVID last year in that, like, every basically everybody was just like, well, this doesn't fucking matter. And, and so 
Um, and then, he, granted, the team played well. Like, I don't think he was. I, mean, get, I was well. gonna say it's not like the team was he bad was fight, except for but, COVID. But he, well. yeah, they did, and they did, and 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 I and I will admit, in less than ideal circumstances, especially with Icopara, like losing Icopara would have been that that's a huge thing, and, and especially since you built your defense around him and all that. But um, that motherfucker is gonna get bailed out. He's gonna he's gonna be here. He will be the longest tenured head coach in Minnesota professional sports um, at some point relatively soon. So I think Zimmer gets fired before he gets, before Adrian Heath gets fired. So the fact that this COVID bullshit, I'm guessing this Tory anti-vaxxer is probably going to get bailed out for that. So uh, is his contract up after this season? I think he's got one more year and then an option. I, think. I was thinking it was two and an option, I th- not two more years. That it was so he had the, he had the first three year contract, which yeah, yeah yeah, and then it was two and an option. That's what I was thinking it was. Yeah, which, that's right. So I, okay. so I think it's he's got this year and then he like, then an option for next year. This is year five, yes. This will be year five, yeah. Yeah, yeah. five year plan, guys. Five so year got, plan. He's got one more year after this and then an option for twenty twenty three. All right, never mind. I think I think. This was- I think. If this were the last year on his contract, I would say not only is he not getting fired, he is going to get a new contract after this year. Uh, Wait and see, Dan. Wait and see. Anyway, bringing this all around full circle, Adrian Heath isn't going anywhere. And so if you think that he can't get the max value out of Hassani Dotson, either on the field or by retaining him year after year to build Dotson's value, you got to sell him either now or during the Olympics. Because other than that, you're just holding an asset while it depresses. And it sucks. I can't believe I'm hearing myself say that because I love Hassani Dotson. I love watching him play. But just from a pure sports economics standpoint, he's an asset. you got to maximize the value. All right. Well, let's move on. Uh, we're recording very, very long. Much longer than I thought we actually would record today. Because, um, again, when I started this in the morning, I was like, there's, there's not a whole ton of stuff to talk about. And then... Yeah, then we just spent, you know, an hour and a half talking about Hassani Dotson. So uh, let's jump in. The Minneapolis City Minute, MJ. Uh, can I do the Gisaloon first? Uh, let's do it next week. Um, Wait, okay. Yeah, sorry. We're, it's, it's, it's been an hour and 45 minutes, bud. So um, Minneapolis City Futures add former Blackhawk soccer and current Corinne Football Association player, Ekuse. And he's a senior at Humboldt High School in, in St. Paul. Ekuse a- joins nice. the Near North neighborhood team of the Minneapolis City Futures. And do either of you know what other famous last name player plays there on Near North? Messi. Axon Lagos. <laughs> Whoa. So there you go. In a, in a previous... Uh, episode i talked about eric lagos from yale who uh is playing with a new uh npsl north team out of out of st louis park uh eric lagos is the son of gerard jackson is the oldest son of manny lagos of manuel and so yeah so uh congrats to him and He'll, he should have fun playing on near north. That's excellent. 
All right, I'll make you a deal, MJ. You can either do the Guess the Loon or the World Soccer Update. Your choice. I'll do the World One Soccer. The other. I'll do a truncated World okay. Soccer uh, Update. Okay. Okay. Um, Dan, just because I know you were watching the game, uh, I'll just do a, a, a WSL update. That's the English Women's League where some U.S. women are playing. But... Manchester United had a pretty big game as a third place against a fourth place Arsenal team. You want to talk about that? Yeah. Uh, Arsenal women has, have a lot like the men actually been really inconsistent this season. Uh, Arsenal had not taken any points off of a top three side. Uh, they beat Manchester United two nil despite finishing the game with 10 players. So um, big, big, big match uh, top three qualify for, Women's Champions League, and right now Arsenal is three points behind Manchester United for that third spot with a game in hand. So uh, starting with this weekend's North London Derby, which Arsenal should boss, uh, they have their fate in their hands. So if they can consistently win, beat the teams that they're supposed to beat, they'll be back in the Champions League, and I will be a very happy camper. It would be so awesome, since I, I think that with the roster improvements, I mean, they, these two, the, the two blue teams just went to town in the offseason, Chelsea and Man City. The, they were almost a shoe-in for Champions League this year. And it is that question of who gets that third spot. And you could argue that Tottenham, Everton, and Arsenal all, all had a shot at it. But Manchester United was in that, that third-place driver's seat for so long. And this win against Manchester United gives Arsenal just a huge chance to to just beat them out of that spot, which makes me happy. And they're getting healthy too. Arsenal, the Arsenal women have, have dealt with serious injury issues this year. So they are finally getting healthy at the right time, which is, I believe the first time anyone has ever said that about an Arsenal team. <laughs> okay. And, and finally, I just want to comment that uh, last year, my K league team FC soul finished in the bottom half of K-League won, and that was really embarrassing since they had finished third the previous year. This year, they're only about seven games in, but they're in second place. That was a bit long. They just played their corporate rivals in the Suwon Blue Wings. Suwon Blue Wings, sponsored by Samsung. FC Souls, owned by an ownership group that's also heavily involved in LG. So whether you want to think of your televisions or LCD computer displays or your smartphones, this is kind of a big deal over in Korea, um, the the Samsung versus LG Derby. So uh, really cool to see FC Seoul pull out a 2-1 win away from home and being back up in second place. Man, you guys remember like last year around this time when we were, got really invested in K-League soccer? <laughs> like <laughs> we, we all picked teams. Back around, you know? We could. We absolutely, absolutely could. Yeah, like pick teams and all that and follow it along. Um, that was our... Those are weird times. Uh, all right. Well, it's getting late. Uh, I need to get, cause I need to download this and hopefully get it up before midnight. Cause I want to make sure that we get, um, uh, Abelia signed before, um, Abila signed before noon tomorrow. Um, so thanks guys. This is a, this is fun. Again, a long one. Um, we've been doing short ones, so you get uh, more bang for your buck this way. Always please rate and review our podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts, uh, Dave's I know.com. Uh, that's where to go. Patreon.com slash Dave's. I know if you want to get in on that Imperial red rye, 
uh, at TDIKM and on Twitter. I'm at Texas Zeller. Dan is at D Wade and MJ is at MJ Matsui. Uh, we've been the Dave's, you know, this is the Dave's Sign Out. We As you do yours, land here, become feet, con. Yeah, uh, we, we do yeah. our thing, son. Who the act we attract to, hope to reach one. Uh, we, yeah. we, we do our thing, do it. Do it. We do our thing, son. Some will paint a piece, some will spray with a machine gun. It's mad work to be we, done. Uh, we, we do our thing, son. Y'all know we can't do nothing at all.